0: Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. How's everybody feeling this morning? Right here, front row's feeling good. How we doing on this side? We doing good on this side? Yeah. Awesome, good, good to see you. How's the middle section doing? Good. Small but mighty, I like that. Left side, how we doing this morning? Good, good, good. Well, it's so good to see you. Uh, it's so good to be back with you. If I've not met you yet, my name is Journey and it's my privilege to be the pastor here. And uh, this is my first Sunday back, actually. Uh, it's been a month since I have preached here. I've spent some time taking care of my first ministry, which is my family. We took a road trip down to Florida uh, and had a good time, played in the beach. We stopped and saw some family along the way. And then came back from that and immediately went into uh, something that I do every year. It's probably, uh, I feel, one of the best investments that I make into our church. I spent about four or five days um, kind of in solitude with the Lord, just praying, God, what do you want for our church? Where are we going in this next season? What do you want to do in me? What do you want to do in the life of our people? Um, And so that's kind of where I've been. That's what I've been doing. And it's good to be back. And y'all have changed some things while I've been gone. The room's just a little bit different than what it used to be. Uh, but that's good, and uh, I, I like it. How many of you know sometimes change, you just, gotta, you just gotta do it, and then you get used to it, and then you like it? Anybody, anybody like that? A few people. How many of you are like, change? What is that word? It's good to be here. I'm super thankful for Brian. Uh, Brian has been really kind of shepherding this vision uh, to, to recreate a space for us as a church on Sunday mornings to um, be able to, to engage in worship and to engage with each other in a way that uh, will help us get to know one another a little bit better, um, help build faith uh, in our lives a little bit better. And so, Brian, thank you for that. I um, also wanna say thank you to uh, the, the folks that have preached in my absence. Come on, if you have been grateful for the messages you've heard the last three weeks, uh, can you put your hands together? Is that Okay. Super thankful for my my friend Matt who came and preached. Pastor Chris did an incredible job as always. And how about young Colin last week? Man, I was so blessed and encouraged by that. Today we are wrapping up our summer series deep dive into uh, Hebrews chapter 11 in in a series we've called By faith. And the title of every message along the way has been uh, the person that is being highlighted in Hebrews chapter 11. And so we spent some time on Abel and then Enoch and Noah and, and all the way down the line. And today is going to be an incredible conclusion because the writer of the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11 has ended with a focal point, not on people who lived thousands of years ago, but he ends with a focal point on us. And so the title of today's message is Us. And what we're gonna learn today as we come to this incredible conclusion of Hebrews chapter 11 is that we're gonna learn why God has written and preserved all of this for us to be able to read it 2,000 years later after it was recorded. And what was recorded was written about the lives of people who lived thousands of years before that. And we're gonna understand today why God has written this, why he has seen fit to record it, and why he has seen fit to preserve it for us to be able to read in 2022 before we dive too far in I want to do a little bit of a recap because what have we been doing this summer we've gone to Hebrews chapter 11 and it served as a springboard back into the Old Testament to read about these very real people who live very real lives who faced some real obstacles and some of them had some real opportunities and what we've been learning is, is how, oh, how do we live this life as followers of God, as followers of Jesus? How are we supposed to live in such a way that when we come to new things, when we come to things that we weren't prepared for, when it comes to things that we weren't quite ready for, when it comes to obstacles that that seem overwhelming and insurmountable, when it comes to to opportunities that are exciting, but 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 with those new opportunities bring a whole lot of questions of what to do and how to do it. How are we supposed To live, and what we've been learning from these heroes of the faith is that the solution is to live by faith. And so, we have to ask the question what is faith? Is faith blind optimism? Is it hopeful ignorance? No, what we've been learning this summer is that faith is none of those things. In fact, what we've been learning and what we have established as the definition of faith is this. And if you've been with us throughout the summer, then there's a reason why we keep saying it every week because I want you to get this imprinted in your soul because Hebrews 11, six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you want to please God, you need to understand what faith is. And here's how we've defined it. That faith is believing something is so when it isn't so because God said it so. And we're gonna unpack what does that mean for us in the way that we live our lives today. But what it means, as, or, 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 or what we've been learning is is that this definition of faith as we've been studying these heroes of Hebrews chapter 11 is that, that, that this idea that faith is believing something is so when it isn't so. How many of you have been in a situation where something didn't make sense? It's okay to raise your hand. It's okay to talk back a little bit. We we changed the room for a reason, y'all. You can talk a little bit in class, all right? How many of you have ever been in a situation where something just didn't make sense? You've been in a situation, you thought, I don't know how I'm gonna get out of this one. How many of you have been there because you made a really dumb decision on the way there? Come on, can we, it's okay to be honest in church. Here's the deal. Faith is believing something is so even when it doesn't seem so when the situation and the circumstance are screaming down at us about how impossible this is, about how you're never gonna get over this, how you're never gonna get through this, you're never gonna get beyond this, when the situation and circumstance seems incredibly overwhelming that you're never gonna get beyond it, then what is faith? Faith is believing something is so, when all of that says it isn't so, why? Because God said it so. So how do we know that God said it so? We spend time with Jesus. We spend time with his word. We have to become familiar and acquainted with his promises. Can I tell you today, church, that I'm convinced that one of the reasons why so many people lack faith is because they don't know what to believe that God has said is so. Because we are not acquainted with the promises of his word. We need to develop the discipline of spending time reading the Bible. And I hear this all the time. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what it says. I don't know what it means. We can help with that. We've got some things we can give you to help with that. But if you never understand the promises of God's word, if you never understand the promise of God's nature, of his love for you, his care for you, his grace for you, if you never know, if you never see, if you never understand, then you will never be able to have faith to believe that the impossible is possible. And the things that you begin to believe are impossible get smaller and smaller and smaller until eventually what happens for a lot of people is we live with such an emaciated faith that things that should not be an obstacle whatsoever end up being the kind of thing that take people out. Faith is believing something is so when it isn't so because God said it so. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but sometimes it seems that faith is easier for some people than others. You ever, have you ever known somebody who it just seems like, man, their, their, their walk with Jesus and their faith is just like, their experience seems to be very different than mine. Like they just live under the spout where the glory falls out and I'm living in the regular world, right? Does anybody know somebody like that? Come on, right? Or, 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 or here's the other thing that I've noticed. I've, I've noticed that there are certain seasons where faith is a lot easier than other seasons. I mean, can we just agree that in large part before inflation was like record highs and gas, you have to like leave an organ at the gas pump to fill your truck, your, your, your tank up with gas. I took my kids to go get gas the other day because that's what we do for fun now. Daddy, can we go to Chuck E. Cheese? No, we can go to Costco. Great, I wanna get something. No, we getting gas. Micah goes, Daddy, can I help? I go, sure. She gets so I you know, I'm walking her through it. She gets in the truck and she goes, Woo, thirty-five dollars for a tank of gas, that's expensive. And I go, Oh no, baby. That's how much gas we got. The top number is what it costs. She's sitting in the truck. She's putting her seatbelt on. She looks, she goes. Now this was, this was like, like at the peak of gas prices. And she's like, $140 for gas? I said, yeah, baby. She goes, why is it so expensive? I go, oof. That's a long conversation. But when mommy and daddy say, what we're having for dessert is not ice cream. We're gonna have the like two cent popsicles. There's a reason for that. But listen, can I just tell you, like sometimes when, when things are good financially, when things are good economically, when things are good relationally, when things are good at work, can I just tell you, it seems like faith is a lot easier in those seasons, doesn't it? But when things get hard, when things don't go the way that we want to is when when faith really gets tested. And that's the reason why we've been studying Hebrews chapter 11. And here's the thing that has been really interesting for me as we've dived into Hebrews chapter 11. I believe that God has preserved these lives and these stories for us so, so that we can recognize one very significant thing. We have this, we in the modern era have this tendency to romanticize things of the past. Right, like I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say like, I, you know, wish, wish, wish we could go back to the good old days, like when we didn't take showers on a daily basis. Like, are those the good days you wanna go to? You wanna go to the good days where, where you just drove around lost because you didn't have a GPS to get you where you needed to go? Now, admittedly, we would probably all do better to learn some things and not be so dependent on our smartphones, but I, you understand the point. Here's what I think that happens. We read about people in the Bible and here's what we do. We romanticize them, we elevate them to this place and we begin to think there's no way that I can ever be like them. Here's the reason why I believe God has recorded in Hebrews chapter 11, this recap of all of these people in the Old Testament. And it's often referred to as the heroes of the faith or the hall of faith, instead of the hall of fame, the hall of faith, right? And here's the reason why I believe that God has recorded these for us. Not so that we read them and go, oh my gosh, they're so amazing. Oh my goodness, they're so special. Oh my goodness, there's no way I could ever be like them. No, 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 no. I believe it's quite the contrary. I believe that God recorded them for us and preserved them in Hebrews chapter 11 as a recap so that we can understand one very significant thing. They were not heroes. They were ordinary people. Men and women, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters that had one thing in common. They were willing in their very ordinary lives to lay everything on the line for their very extraordinary God. And what did that look like? Well, We learned about Abel. What was so fancy about Abel? Abel was a part of the first family born to Adam and Eve, but what was so special about him? Nothing. He just worshiped God the way that God told him to. What about Enoch? What was so special about Enoch? Enoch walked by faith in a time where nobody cared about God. Nobody trusted God. Nobody aligned their lives to God. Enoch just said, I'm gonna follow God regardless of what anyone else says, and when I see people defaming my God, I'm gonna say something about it. Nothing special about that. How about Noah? Noah worked by faith. What does that mean? It means that he had a career as a shepherd, taking care of his family, and God changed his career path. Says, I want you to build a boat builder. And Noah's like, I don't even know what a boat is. Why do we need one in the middle of the desert? God says, because it's gonna flood. Noah says, what does that word mean? That means it's a lot of rain. Noah goes, what is rain? I've never heard of rain. There's a special about Noah. Noah just said, yes, Lord, I will change my career to do what you've told me to do so that we can align our lives to the things that you want to do. Let's keep going down the line. What about Abraham? What was, what was so special about Abraham? Granted, Abraham was a really wealthy dude, all right? So if you're in the room and you're not really wealthy, then he's got that one on you. But other than that, Abraham was just a normal dude. He was just a normal dude that when God showed up and says, hey, Abe, um, I, I want you to get up and leave this place and follow me. Abraham goes, where are we going? God says, don't worry about it. Abraham goes, okay. How about his wife, Sarah. Now, we can argue when you learn about the story of Abraham and Sarah and some of the stuff that Abraham did, that he lied about Sarah being his wife and all that kind of stuff, like we can argue that maybe Sarah really was a saint. Sarah really was a hero. But Sarah just said, listen, my Direction for my life and who I am as a person is not determined, It's not valued by whether or not the situation and circumstance goes well. Hey, listen, this was for somebody today. Your standing and your relationship with God is not determined on how good or godly your spouse is. Sarah determined, as we learn, she said, you know what? Even if Abraham is gonna be unfaithful to me, I am still gonna judge that my God is faithful and I'm gonna follow him. What about the patriarchs? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. What was special about them? Nothing. But they chose to include their children in the process of worship. Abraham took that very literal. And they left a legacy of faith, not because Abraham was something special. You know what what made Abraham so special when it comes to being a dad? Here's what it is. He allowed his son to see the ups and the downs of following his God. He didn't pretend to his son that everything is great. All you gotta do is just say yes to God and everything's gonna be sunshine, rainbows and unicorns. That's not what Abraham did. Abraham allowed Isaac to see the journey of his faith to include the cost of obedience when God told Abraham to take Isaac and sacrifice him. Now, listen, if you think that's special, then we probably might need to have a conversation about like the division of family services and what you're doing with the kids in your house. Like that's, that's just, you know, I don't recommend you do what Abraham did. What did Pastor Chris teach us about Moses? Man, what I loved about What Pastor Chris taught us about Moses is that if you want to know what it means to live by faith, just do what Moses did. What did Moses do? And I I love what we were taught. Moses trusted in God's plan. He embraced God's priorities and he dwelled in God's presence. How do I live by faith? It starts by trusting in God's plan. You can't trust in a plan that you've not sought God's opinion about. So if you wanna live by faith, you gotta start asking the question and in prayer asking God, God, what is your plan? And we we get so caught up, God, what is your plan for my life? Would you show me the entire journey? Can I just tell you something? I just believe that oftentimes God goes, listen, you couldn't handle the truth if I told you about what my whole plan for your life is. I just need you to get off your butt and go do something today. Moses trusted in God's plan. He embraced God's priorities. He said, listen, God, you get to determine what is the important things in my life. Can I tell you something? I was a youth pastor for 11 years, and one of the things I love most about serving teenagers is that teenagers have a way of making things simple what grownups make stupid and complicated. Because we get, all, we get it all twisted. We got all these reasons why life's more complicated and, and why life's more, more difficult. And we got all these things going on. Listen, I get it. There's more bills to pay. There's more responsibility. I understand it. Like as you grow, you mature, you become responsible for more. But can I tell you when it comes to matters of faith, things don't get more complicated. You are either gonna say yes to Jesus or you're gonna say no to Jesus. Moses embraced God's priorities and then Moses dwelled in God's presence. You know how to live by faith? Do what Moses did. And then my friend Matt came and taught us a message about the others. And some of those people who lived by faith, they escaped the edge of the sword. They were able to live by God's miraculous intervention, even though it looked like they were certainly gonna die. And then there were others who uh, uh, did not escape the, the edge of the sword. They were actually killed because of their faith. And what we learned through the others is that by faith, God will either give you the grace to endure the hardship or he'll give you the peace to overcome it. And then last week, Colin told us about Rahab. I mean, if there's anybody that should not be included in God's story, it's a lying prostitute who was a Gentile, which in those days meant that you are on the outside, not on the inside. There's Jews and there's everybody else. Yet God chose to allow this woman who was a lying Gentile prostitute not only to be included in the story of faith, but to be listed in the genealogy of the birth of Jesus. Oh my goodness, if somebody needs to know today, are you too far gone for God? The answer is emphatically no. These are ordinary, everyday uninspiring people who when given the opportunity, when they came to an obstacle or an opportunity, they purposed in their mind, I am going to approach and overcome by faith. Not through my rationing, not through my reasoning, not by creating a pros and cons list, not by asking all my friends what they think. I'm gonna approach by faith. God, what do you want me to do? And whatever it is that you tell me to do, my answer is yes. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews now comes And what he does is, is he he begins to make a shift now. And what God's desire is, is that we would not read everything that we've read so far in Hebrews chapter 11 and go, oh my goodness, they're so amazing. I can't wait to see them when I get there. I'm gonna ask them questions. The purpose of that being recorded for us is not so that we can go, oh my goodness, I, I I, I don't know how they did that. I can never be like them. Instead, I believe that God has recorded it so that we can read it so that we can learn, so that we can be encouraged, and ultimately so that we can be motivated as regular, ordinary people to do what they did. And it's to choose to live by faith. Hebrews 11, 39, the author makes this shift. And he says, and all these, all these people that we just read about, all these having obtained a good testimony through faith. What that means is, is that all these people, that they they have been approved by God. They have chosen to live by faith and not by sight. They have chosen to honor God and bless God and please God by their faith. And what, what we learn is, is that they pleased God. They approved God. God looks down from heaven and says, yes. All of these having attained a good uh, testimony through faith. I feel like it would be appropriate to just stop and remember here, if these that we've just read about obtained a good testimony through faith, It's critical that we understand that the way that for you and for me today, for us to obtain a good testimony with God, the way that you get into God's good graces, the way that you earn God's favor is never, ever, ever gonna be built on what you do. You're never gonna earn God's approval. You're never gonna earn God's favor. You're never gonna earn God's blessing by being a better person. By going to church more, by praying more, by giving more money to charity or to the church, by serving more, you're never going to earn God's approval. How do you earn God's favor? the same way they did? By faith. 11:6 says, by faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Your faith will lead you to do things, but it starts with faith. He continues and he says, "And all these, having obtained a good testament through faith, did not receive. The promise, what on earth is he talking about? What is the promise? The promise is salvation. All of these people that we are, all of these extraordinary heroes of the faith, these people that we hold on a pedestal, all of these people that did all these incredible things, none of them, even though by faith they earned God's favor and approval, none of them received the promise, the promise of salvation. Well, that doesn't, seem, that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't make sense. I mean, they did all these things. Why, why would they not receive the promise? Well, they didn't receive the promise because they did not live on our side of Jesus. In their lifetime, they did not receive the promise because Christ had not been born. He had not died. He had not resurrected. He had not paid the, the penalty for sin yet. And they, just like us, despite what we oftentimes like to believe is that we're good people and that, 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 that you know, if I just do enough right things then maybe I might get to heaven. Scripture makes it very clear that none of us are good. There was only one good person and they named the entire Christian movement after him. Instead, the Bible says that we are born not as good people, but as sinful people, as wicked people, as enemies of God. But the good news is, in Romans chapter five, verse 10, is that God says this, that if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his death, through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. What does this mean? It means that all of us are born into sinful, as sinful people. We're born as evil, wicked people. But by faith, through the death of Christ, we can experience the promise of salvation. Now, does it mean that these people aren't in heaven? That's a, that's a really deep theological message that I don't have time to get into today. But the promise, what, what Scripture is referring to is, is they did not receive the promise in their lifetime. But the pages of, of Scripture paint the picture that when you and I get to heaven, all of these people are gonna be there because what they did is they placed their faith on credit. What does that mean? It means that they they had to place their faith in something that that was way ahead. Can I tell you that the culmination of all of the work that God has been doing throughout the history of humanity all leads up to this promise. It is the promise of salvation in Jesus. I want you to consider Abraham for a moment. Abraham was approached by God and God said, hey, Abraham, I'm gonna make you a great man, a great nation. You're gonna be the father of many nations, but I need you to obey me. I need you to have faith in me. Abraham says, yes. Did you know that it is 40 generations until the promise comes to fruition in the birth of Jesus? 40 generations of hardship and struggle and difficulty for Abraham's family, for his children, for the Jewish people. 40 years of ups and downs and wins and losses and difficulty and and, and imprisonment and enslavement and and deliverance and and processes of, of sin and forgiveness and sin and forgiveness. 40 generations of the struggle until finally the promise begins to be fulfilled in the birth of Jesus God's son none of these people in Hebrews chapter 11 experienced the promise but what does this mean for us why has God given us all of this to read thousands of years later I believe we find out in the next verse verse 40 God having provided something better say that word better God has provided something better for us. You understand this? That all of these people in Hebrews chapter 11, all the incredible things that they did, all the incredible steps of faith, all the, all the, all the remarkable things that happened in and through the course of their lives. What God is saying is that despite everything that they did, God has provided something better for us, that's for you and for me. It's for the writer of Hebrews. It's for everybody who lived after the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. God has provided something better. And what is that something better? Well, the, those generations, those before Christ, they, they didn't receive the promise of salvation. But those after Christ are able in their lifetime and our lifetime to experience the promise of salvation. And what God's word is saying is that God has provided something better for us that they should be made per- that they should not. Be made perfect apart from us. What does this mean? It means that any who lived before the time of of the the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, they didn't receive the culmination or the promise. But everyone who lives after Him can. What does that look like? Well, it looks like this. It looks like an understanding. Now that Jesus has lived, he's died, and he's rose again, that we now all get to be partakers. We all get to be beneficiaries of the good news of Jesus. What is the good news of Jesus? The good news of Jesus is that the son of God came to die for sinners so that sinners could become the children of God. how does this look in this time continuum that we're working with? Well, let me just kind of paint a picture for you the difference between the saints of old and us. The saints of old looked forward with a hope of the promise. Their faith was built on credit. They were looking forward. They're like, I'll gladly pay you a dollar tomorrow for a hamburger today. Right? They were looking forward. They were placing their faith on something that was yet to happen. But us, we look back on historical fact of the resurrection. We don't have to build our faith on something that is yet to come. We build our faith on something that has already happened. For the, for the saints of old, their faith was based on what Jesus would do. And For us, our faith is built on what Jesus did do. Do you see the difference? The saints of old were hopeful, but you and I today can be certain. Now listen, if you're here today, and maybe you're here and you've got questions about this whole Jesus thing, maybe you're, maybe you're skeptical about the Jesus thing, maybe, maybe you struggle with, with, with Jesus and the Bible and Christianity. Maybe you're like a lot of people and you struggle with Christians. And can I just tell you, I also am in that crowd. I struggle with Christians sometimes because I know my issues. But I just wanna encourage you today, if you're here or, or perhaps if you're tuning in online and, and you've got questions and, and doubts about this whole Bible Jesus thing, I just wanna encourage you, like here's where it always boils back to me. For me, my faith is not built on, you know, the God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Like I I do believe that God's word is inspired and without error, but that is not the foundation of my faith. The foundation of my faith is built on this one thing that every time I begin to question and doubt my own faith, I keep coming back to this idea. How is it possible that I even know the name of Jesus? Jesus was a poor Jewish carpenter who never ascended a throne, who never had any military army. He never had any significant financial resources. He was one of thousands upon thousands of people that the Roman government crucified 2000 years ago. And nobody knows anybody else's name that was crucified, but the Romans yet somehow something about this Jesus, something happened with him that caused the people that followed him to no longer be scared and afraid because their leader was killed, but they were motivated and encouraged to go give their own lives because of the life of Jesus. And what I always come back to is the only logical reason that I even know the name of Jesus in Kansas City, Missouri, and in 2022 is because Jesus must have done something that dead people don't normally do. And when you go back and study not only the biblical, but the extra biblical historical record, there is consistency. Something happened with Jesus. That he lived, he died, he was placed into a tomb. Yet somehow, shortly after he died, everybody that followed him went crazy, willing to give their own lives. Why would people do that for a man who claimed that he was gonna die and come back to the grave if he lied and didn't deliver on that promise? Once you notice what happens next, what happens next, the writer of Hebrews now begins he makes a, a pretty hard shift. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter one. It says, therefore, right? So he's, he's made his case. All of this stuff has been building up to this idea. And then he says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, you know what he's saying? In other words, he's saying, now now that we have We've gone back through the highlight reel of all of the people who proclaim to follow this God that we, that we love, that we serve, that we're trying to figure out how to follow. Since, since all of them have gone before this and we've now been reminded about them, you need to understand that you are now surrounded by them. Like when you go to Arrowhead and you surround the Chiefs football team as they're on the field, you're not on the field, right? Like I know you tell stories back in 85, if coach would have put you in, you would have won state. I get it. Some of y'all are like Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. I can throw a pigskin a quarter mile. Some of y'all don't have enough comic interest to have understood that movie. (laughs) All of these heroes of the faith are surrounding us. They are in heaven and they're looking down and they are observing and they are cheering us on. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that Christ has set before us to run. He's saying, therefore, because of all of this, knowing that all of them are in our corner, they are cheering us on, then let's drop the sin in our life, the stuff that you felt like, I'll never get over this, I'll never overcome it. You can, by faith in Christ, overcome the power of that sin, that stronghold that it has on you. All the stuff in your life that you keep holding to, you keep picking up because you keep thinking that it's gonna feel good, it's gonna be better, it's gonna look better, but all the while you know that this thing that I keep grabbing and holding onto is never gonna lead me to where I wanna go. It's time, therefore, because of all of these ordinary people who follow an extraordinary God and do these remarkable things that we now hold them up as the heroes of the faith. With that on our mind, let's get rid of all the stuff. Let's get rid of all the crap. Let's get rid of all the junk. Let's stop playing games and let's get after the business of following Jesus because you were created on purpose, for a purpose. You are not the way you are by accident. You were created and designed and ideated by a glorious God who said, I need people who have certain skill sets and then he created you and then he allowed you to be born and then he put you in your family of origin and you went through all of the things that you went through as you were growing up and went through college and and went through your 20s and your 30s and your 40s all for the express purpose so that God could have you exactly where you are in this moment so that you can make a difference for the name of Jesus, for the glory of God and for the good of the world. So let us lay aside, let's stop playing games, church. Let's stop pretending, church. Let's stop coming to church and and just putting our game face on and then going out into the world and doing whatever the crap we wanna do. God is saying, listen, I wanna use you. You wanna know what it's like to be an ordinary person used in an extraordinary way because of the faith that you choose to have in me. Let go of the junk and watch what happens when your hands are no longer filled with crap that only kills you and see what's possible when I begin to put things into your hand that I intentionally created you to hold, to wield, and to use to change this world for my good and my glory. What I love about this passage from the word of God is it it helps me to believe a couple things. It helps me, number one, to know I'm not the only crazy person. When I'm faced with those moments like, God, this doesn't make sense, but if that's where you lead me, okay, here we go. Which I, I don't have a perfect batting record on that. I know sometimes people have this mindset, oh, the pastor, ooh, he's special, he's holy, he's closer to God than me. I would love to set you up with an appointment with my wife, my three kids, my mom, my dad, my father-in-law who's sitting right over there and they would be more than happy to tell you, oh, you got it right, Yep, He's a lot closer. You know why? Because he is jacked up. He needs it. I got the first amen in four years from my father-in-law right over there. second thing that this passage of scripture encourages me about is that it helps me to believe that I actually can move on from the stuff that's sucking the life out of me, the stuff that brings me the guilt and the shame and the pain and the, the misery. And it reminds me that every single one of us is different. Every single one of us really was created with a purpose. By the way, we as a church are super passionate about helping you figure out what that is. That's why we created the Next Steps course. If you haven't been to the Next Steps course, I'd love to encourage you to check it out. We'll be back in week two next week. Our purpose may look different for every single one of us, but it's all connected to the ultimate purpose of what God has been doing from the beginning pages of time, from the beginning pages of the Bible, He has been passionately and madly chasing after and pursuing the people that he loves so much that he created in his image so that they could begin to realize and understand the life that he has always designed them and wanted them to have is only found in Jesus. What happens is is when we take these truths, it, it can lead us to this place of like, oh, you know, a word that gets tossed around a lot in church circles, especially if you grew up in like Baptist circles or Pentecostal circles. People like throw around the revival word. Revival, let's bring revival. Dear Lord, revival coming in here. That's how we did it in Arkansas. Can I tell you something? I understand that it's easy, and, 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 and I'm not trying to make this political, I'm really not but it's easy and understandable for us to live in the world that we live in today and see the evil things that are happening, to see the hardships, to see the difficulties, and for us to be grieved, for us to be burdened. And it leads us to a point of prayer, God, would you send revival? Would you send revival? God, would you do something? God, would you do something? And I think what happens is, I want you to understand me, I'm not saying it's wrong for us to pray for revival. I'm not saying it's wrong for us to pray for God to do something, but I believe that there is a theological disconnect that we often miss. And here's the disconnect that we need to reconnect today. Every single person who calls on the name of Jesus for salvation will be saved. Every single person who has ever called on the name of Jesus for salvation has been saved. And scripture says the Holy Spirit has come and taken residence inside your life, inside your body. You have the same power that brought Jesus back from the grave, alive in you today. And I just believe that we as people of God, the people who have called on his name, yes, church, pray for revival. Yes, church, pray for God to move. But we also need to be awakened and reminded that we don't have to just pray for God to move. We don't have to just pray for God to do a supernatural work. We need to realize that we are the supernatural work the Spirit of God inside of me, out into the world. Christ in me, Christ in you is the hope of glory. We need to recognize that every time we step our foot into a room, we are a part of a move of God. Every time we pick up the phone to text somebody, we are part of a move of God. Every time that you come into church, you are participating and contributing to the move of God. And we, as a people, need to open our eyes and we need to open our hearts and we need to be willing to say, God, by faith, I wanna be part of the solution. I'm not just gonna passively sit back and pray for people, I'm gonna actively look for ways to love them. I'm gonna actively look for ways to serve them. I get asked by people all the time, I'm struggling my relationship with Jesus. I don't know where Jesus is right now. Let me tell you where Jesus is right now. He's out in the community trying to pursue and to chase after people who have given up hope because he wants them to know in him there will always be hope. We need to be reminded today, church, that by faith, that God wants to send us out into the community, not so that we can tell people about our church, not so that we can tell people about our preacher, but so that we can tell people about our king. God has commanded us to go out into the world and preach and proclaim the gospel. God has commanded us to go out into the world to love and serve people who were lost, who were broken, who were hurting. God has commanded us to go be a part of the solution. Church, we cannot just sit in Sunday morning around the room and sing worship and walk out and go back to our lives. God has said, you are the solution. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we've got to lay aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles us so that we can run with endurance the race that is set before us. And notice what he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Church, the great instigator to make an impact and a difference in our city and in the world is your faith. Your faith will instigate and will agitate things loose so that God may minister to people and they can know that he loves them. What I believe that God would have us understand from Hebrews chapter 11 is this. The solution to overcome every obstacle and to navigate every opportunity ever faced by God's people has always been the same. What is that solution? By faith. So what is your obstacle this morning? What opportunity are you wrestling with this morning? What decision are you facing? What hardship are you feeling weighed down by? What are the questions that you're asking? How will my marriage get through this? By faith. It's not gonna make sense for you to love and forgive and to serve when they said and did what they did. The solution for you is not the, the, the solution to happiness. We don't love each other anymore. Can I tell you, listen to me, the solution is not divorce. The solution is not separation. The solution is by faith. How will I navigate this loneliness I feel as a single person? It's not by lowering your standards. Listen, can I tell you what you're going to get when you fish in a poison water hole? You're going to get some funky fish. Sometimes the problem is, sometimes the problem is you don't realize it's funky until you've already spent too much time around it. And now it's messing you up. The solution to your loneliness as a single person is by faith. How can I lead my kids to know and follow Jesus by faith? It's gonna be a lot of times it's not gonna make sense. God, I don't know what to do. God says, just have faith in me. All right, preacher man, I'm gonna do that. Next time my kid smarts off at the mouth, my teenager smarts off in the mouth, dear Lord, by faith in the name of Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just trying to remind you today, parents, that God loves your kids more than you can even begin to fathom that you think that you do. Their days are already numbered and measured by our God and he has entrusted them to you for a short season. And the greatest contribution you can make to their lives is not, listen to me, It's not by getting them into all of the football things and all of the basketball things and all of the baseball things. The greatest contribution that you make to their life is not investing thousands upon thousands of dollars chasing their extracurricular things. It's not that that's inherently bad. Listen to me, we wanna, we wanna cultivate amongst our kids hard work and, 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 and integrity and, and good morals and good character and good values. We want them to make good grades. We want them to do all the things, but can I, listen to me, moms and dads. If we do all of those things, but our kids miss Jesus, we failed. We need the kind of faith in our God to lead us through our own ups and downs. need to be willing to invite them into our struggle and our victories so that they can see Jesus isn't just this Sunday morning porcelain character. He's tough, he's rugged, he's ready, and he can handle my life. How am I gonna get out of this situation that I found myself in? By faith. God, I'm gonna trust you. Whatever you say, God, I'm gonna trust you. God, how am, I gonna, how am I gonna get through this tough financial situation that I'm in? It's by faith. Trust me. The Bible says that our God, now this is gonna be lost on you city folk. The Bible says that our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Let me translate that. He's rolling into Benjamins. He's got more money he knows what to do with. God, God, God doesn't need US dollars, God invented the idea of economics and currency. The point is that God's got more than enough to get you through what you need. Maybe you're here today and you go, you know, I don't know about this, I don't, I don't have faith. Oh my goodness, I'm so glad you're here. Because Hebrews 12, two says that we look not to ourselves, we don't look to the pastor, we don't look to the church, We don't look to, you know, our our grandma who drug us to church when we were little. We don't look to any of them, no, no, no. Hebrews 12, two says this, looking unto Jesus. Why? Because he is the author, the originator, the creator, the ideator, the the, the developer, the perfecter of our faith. Pastor, I don't know if I can do this. I don't have faith. Oh, that's okay see, we all started there, and at some point, somebody said, listen, don't look at me, look up at Jesus. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word faith to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word faith to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.